Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host as we dig through the movies out there that just need a little more attention, that just need a little more love. And our movie today is is a going to be a fun one to talk about because it's a fairly obscure horror movie. And this is something that um, I love to do on Staff Picks. I'll try to drop horror movies in here from time to time. And I try to pick ones that are more obscure. Just because horror is kind of my bread and butter. That's my favorite genre to talk about. Those are the ones I think we can really bring up interesting points. And this one is especially interesting because I'm not entirely sure if it ever got a full release in the theater. I think it, I believe it went straight to video and there may have been a couple screenings, but it's one of these that was, it kind of just popped in the, in the out in 2007 to no fanfare whatsoever. And it's just slowly acquired a reputation over the years of word of mouth through word of mouth. And the movie I'm talking about is called Trick or Treat. It's a horror anthology. It's four stories in one. And it's really interesting and really well done. And I would personally say it's probably the best horror anthology I've ever seen. So I'm really excited to share this one with you. Um, my guest here today, uh, he is a uh, horror movie fan, although he just recently got into horror movies. I'm going to let him give his backstory. His name is Jack Morosis, and he uh, he was born on Halloween. He is a recent college graduate, so welcome to the show, Jack. Well, thank you for having me. Glad to, glad to finally make my appearance on here. <laughs> um, so, Trick or Treat, it's, a, it's just a great movie. Well, yeah, like you said, it's didn't get any fanfare upon release it wasn't a full theatrical release it was kind of one of those it's one of those like special showing on halloween night kind of movies uh but that's probably a good thing um uh, some movies are better off as as cult classics and i think this is one of them like mario said i only got into horror movies about two years ago um in the fall of 2017 um up until then the only horror movie that i had seen was insidious um, and then that uh, that fall was when the It movie came out. And so after seeing that, I kind of developed a bit of an interest in the genre and started watching a few more and realized, oh, getting scared by movies isn't actually that bad. It's actually kind of cool. So ever since then, I've been uh, a pretty big fan of horror movies. I've tried to enjoy them as much as I can. And Trick or Treat has been one that has really stood out from the pack. Um, it's got you know a special place in my heart because I – Myself was born on Halloween, and so that day has always been uh, very important to me for for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike a lot of other horror movies that you know relate to Halloween, obviously Halloween comes to mind when you think of that. Um, this one is actually about Halloween. Um, there aren't really any other movies like. I mean, there's a few, but not many actually focus on Halloween itself. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people love Halloween. It's just like a fun holiday. Um, it doesn't have kind of the seriousness of Christmas or the awkward family reunion of Thanksgiving. It's just like its entire purposes is fun, essentially, especially when you're a kid at going out and trick or treating and everything. But I think this movie doesn't really represent Halloween as it currently exists in America. Because think about what what Halloween really is like these days. You know, some places don't even trick-or-treat anymore they just you know it's it's trunk or treat they go and get candy from cars along Mm -hmm. the streets i'm sure in very few places of the country does trick-or-treating actually take place at night after dark um 
there was a law that came out in Virginia uh, this past year that like banned trick or treating for anyone over the age of twelve. You know, I know what? most kids probably aren't trick or treating when they're like thirteen or fourteen, but still, it's like, you know, why is that something you need to legislate? It's, yeah. Well, okay, it's 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 funny you mention that because I've written about this on Facebook. I don't know if I've talked about this on Staff Picks before that, like, we get, like, 300, 400 kids at our house trick-or-treating every year that I happen to live on. Like, every city's got one street where they do have trick-or-treating, and, like, everywhere else there's no one. And for some reason, I live right on, you know, ground zero of trick-or-treating in my town in California. So we get 400, you know, trick-or-treaters a year, and it's insane. But I do know, like you said, it's not historically going on in America much anymore. Yeah, um, and that's a real shame. And, you know, where it does go on, uh, again, it doesn't really capture the spirit of of Halloween or kind of like the ideal Halloween that everyone kind of envisions in their minds. So, again, like it it doesn't happen at night, which is kind of the, you know – Things are scarier at night. People don't really dress up in scary costumes. It's all like, you know, football players or cowboys or <laughs> the slutty cat. Yeah, well, that's a different story. <laughs> uh, but uh, and you know, their whole town isn't going out and having like a you know a awesome costume party festival. Like, not everyone is like going out and celebrating this. It's not like a huge like community affair which uh which it is in the movie um which is really cool it's like you know i wish halloween could be like yeah. this so what you're saying is that what you're saying is that this movie basically presents an idealized view of what we would all like halloween to be yes yes okay absolutely yeah i'm trying to re- just remind you that a lot of our viewers might not the listeners might not know this movie yet so i'm trying to walk them into this one we have a lot of horror movie listeners on this fan or on the show that maybe have not seen the movie yet so i what i try to do is specifically i have picked movies that i think are a little more accessible to non-horror movie fans like would you say this movie is accessible to like a non-horror junkie absolutely i wouldn't say that it's all that scary of a movie um and that's coming from someone who's obviously seen a lot of essentially scary movies, but I mean, I don't think that this one is the one that's going to keep you up at night or, you know, and there's no jump scares or anything. Yeah. And that's one big thing that I try to do is I, I don't beat people over the head with jump scare movies. I hate jump scares. I think they're so cheap and I think movies tend to rely on them too much, but trick or treat is one that I'm especially, you know, passionate about recommending to people because like you said, there's no jump scares. It's not especially scary. It's not especially gory. Like it's it's eerie enough that it'll stick in your head and you'll remember it, but it's it's fun and that's the one thing that I say with a lot of horror movies that I think people forget that horror movies are supposed to be fun, and that's one thing Jack that I remember about Trick or Treat when I watch it I'm like this is a really fun movie and I, I there are not very many fun horror anthologies out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this I mean I almost look at it as like like damn I kind of wish this were real. <laughs> well, except for the child murders, right? Except for the child murders and the werewolves luring unsuspecting people into the woods, but um, and the murderous school principals and the list goes on. But you know, it's a lot of the things in the movie. You know, it's kind of, it's again, it's idealized. It's it would be great if Halloween were actually like this, mm-hmm. um, but it's not. Um, and that's why I appreciate this movie. And I think as part of the allure of this movie is that it presents this idealized version of Halloween. Okay, um, we'll we'll talk about this movie. We'll get into the plot in a bit. I want to give my story now. How how did you stumble upon this one? Like you said, you just got into horror. How did you stumble into Trick or Treat? I'm curious because this is not a very well known movie. Honestly, I I don't know. You know, my what my mind tells me is that 
I remember it from when I was younger browsing the store browsing through the mm-hmm. store at Blockbuster and I just remember the name and the and the title or the remember the title and the the cover of the creepy little pumpkin kid um which you know back when I was younger I didn't really like horror movies and it just kind of stuck in my mind as something that was scary um and then I decided to look it up uh once I did get interested in horror movies so that's where I think I know it from which you know I kind of like that story, so I'll stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's funny is like I, I'm I've been following horror movies for thirty five, forty years. It's a big part of my life, and so I come at it from obviously a different part, a uh, different perspective than you do. But for me, it's the exact same story. And I always say this is the very last blockbuster movie I ever found. And what I used to do is I used to go to video stores, I'd wander through, and I'd always especially look at the horror sections, and I'd pick out a movie that looked interesting from the cover or the description or the title. And I know this is right when Blockbuster and video stores were going down, and one day I just grabbed Trick or Treat, you know, on a whim, because it looked kind of interesting. It said it was an anthology. I'm like, ah, I'll give this one a chance. I just took it home, I mean, completely knowing nothing about it. And I watched it, I'm like, that was really fun. I could not believe I've never heard of this movie before, and this might be the very last Blockbuster movie for me. So I I have fond memories of just, like you said, going and just grabbing stuff off the shelf, and sometimes they turn out to be amazing. Yep. It's uh, a shame people don't have that experience anymore, but I guess you get the same kind of feeling scrolling down the Netflix page. Yeah, but in a sense, but they kind of, they tailor the search options to ones that you're going to like. So it's, that's what I did like about Blockbuster. Every movie had an equal chance of you finding it on the shelf. Yep, yep, it's true. And then another thing is that I took this movie and I showed it to my daughter. I'm always introducing horror movies to her. And she took to this one instantly. She liked it as well. And I, like, I don't know anybody who doesn't like this one if they eventually see it. Have you ever, like, I'm I'm trying to think of, like, hardcore fans that want the blood and the gore and, like, the torture porn wouldn't like this. Have you met anybody or seen reviews where people don't like Trick or Treat? No, not really. I mean, I think, I mean, at least everyone I've talked to about it, like, people that I know in, in life, um... It, you know, even if they are kind of slasher, gory horror movie fans, they still appreciate this one. Yeah. And again, it's just a, sh- a shame that it never showed up in the theater. Although it's kind of what I was saying in my intro. I was kind of on the fence there because I heard this movie was made in 2007 and it was supposed to get a theatrical release and it never did. So it eventually made it made it to video in 2009. But I've heard other people say that it had like limited run in like uh, smaller theaters and niche theaters. So maybe it did have a theatrical release. I'm not sure. I, have you heard anything about that? It might have had a limited release, um, but I do know that um, even today it's still like a it's a niche showing at a lot of theaters. So I know there were theaters near me um, that showed this at midnight on Halloween, which is which is really cool. But as far as a mainstream release, I don't think it got a big one. It might have had one a bit a bit of a time after it officially came out, but I don't think it was significant. And I don't think that's how most people kind of saw or. Word of mouth. This is definitely a word of mouth movie. So again, that's what we do on Stop Picks. I do word of mouth. So if you have never seen Trick or Treat and you like horror movies, even a little bit, this is absolutely one of the best I've seen in the past 10, 12 years. Although let's talk about anthologies for a minute. I know you kind of went into that at the start. Have you seen many horror anthologies? I know you named a couple. How about like, are you, would you say this is among the better ones you've seen? Uh, I would say it's the best one I've seen. Ah, uh, I don't know if my, if I've seen enough to kind of, you know, be an authority on that subject, but I've seen a few and it's definitely the best. 
Yeah, I personally think it's the best I've ever seen. And again, I'm I grew up in the '80s, and I grew up in with the Creep Show movies. Now, have you seen Creep Show? I have not. Yeah, that one is very highly regarded. It's five Stephen King and George Romero stories. I don't personally love it. I don't think it's as good as its reputation. I know a lot of people who do love it, and they made Creep Show two. And there's like Tales from the Dark Side in 1990 or something, which I like that one. I'm familiar with that one. I haven't seen it, but I kind of know of it. Okay. And I know that there's a bunch now within the last 10 years, although there's one that I'm a big fan of, and I don't think you've seen it. Have you ever seen A Christmas Horror Story? Uh, I actually have. I did watch that this past Christmas, I think on your recommendation. Oh, what did you think of that? Um, it was it was solid. Um, <laughs> it was a bit weird for my taste. <laughs> what? How, um, how dare you call a movie where Santa and elves are killing each other with axes weird? Yeah, it was, you know, I'll... I'll you know, I'll take that a bit further. It was pretty bizarre. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm going to do on a future Staff Picks episode. We're not going to get too far into it. It's called A Christmas Horror Story, and it's all these Christmas-based scary stories where, like, the, the Krampus demon and then Santa fighting elves. It's a, it's a really odd movie. But again, back here to Trick or Treat. This is maybe the greatest horror anthology ever. I will I will go as, to far, as far as to say that, where I just... It's four interlocking stories. They all take place one night in Halloween in this little town. Do you remember what the town's called, Jack? It is called Warren Valley, Ohio. Yes. And I think they do a great job of framing that as really the quintessential American town. Yeah. Uh, despite being vil- filmed as va- in Vancouver, excuse me. <laughs> yes. Um, it is, you know, they they really kind of make it timeless and make it kind of, you know, quintessential. Yeah. It's just every city, USA, one night in Halloween where, and like you said, it's about Halloween. It's not even so much about what happens to the characters. It's about Mm -hmm. the rules and rituals of Halloween. And if you break the rituals of Halloween, there's going to be consequences. And there's this little spirit. His name is Sam in the movie. He's like the spirit of Sam Hain or Sam. I forget what they call it in the movie. Sam Hain. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Hain. He's like the spirit of Halloween. And every time someone breaks a tradition in this night in this little small town, something horrible will happen to them. And that's really the entire movie. Although it's so artfully and skillfully done with the movies, the, the stories like intersect and intertwine with one another. And it's just amazing to see how well it's done. That's the one thing that pops out in my head when I think of trick or treat. Everything is woven together, and it's woven together very well, and subtly enough that it's not kind of beaten over your head, but you know, obviously enough that it it, it makes a lot of sense. So it, when I think of this movie, I I would say that Sam qualifies as the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really kind of the focus of the movie, um, and they've kind of the Michael Doherty, the director and kind of the creator of this film. Uh, they've really kind of, he and his team, I guess, have tried to kind of make a cult following not around the movie but around sam the character Mm -hmm. um they've actually released a number of little short films like two three minute shorts on youtube that um have sam involved in every holiday um like he dresses up with bunny ears for easter and he uh um you know does some other stuff where does where does sam stand on arbor day uh i don't know if they've made that one (laughs) Well, why don't you describe Sam to people who have never seen him before? Because Sam is the iconic character of this movie, and again, he's a he's the symbol of Halloween. He just represents all the rules and rituals and the spirit of Halloween. Why don't you describe him to people who have never seen him before? You know, he's kind of hard to describe. I mean, physically, he's a very small creature, um, childlike. He wears an orange kind of onesie, and then his head is covered by a 
perfectly round uh, burlap sack with uh, button eyes. I actually don't know if they're button eyes, but they're kind of creepy looking eyes. Um, and then a, this subtly woven uh, smile across the front <laughs> of the of the burlap sack. Um, he's very creepy looking, but he's also kind of kind of cute and innocent <laughs> uh, at the same time. They actually have him played by a child in the movie. Um, it was an intentional decision. Uh, they could have used a little person, but they wanted to kind of capture the innocent childlike movement that only uh, a child could provide, hmm. um, which I think is interesting. And I think that definitely comes across. I think that was a good uh, decision on their part. Yeah, no, I agree. And I didn't realize that was a kid in there. But yeah, Sam is very, he looks like a scarecrow, but he's two feet tall and he's the symbol of the movie and he's going to pop up all over the place. And again, he's scary and he's vicious, but he's also very playful which I think is a wonderful analogy of what this movie is by itself. It's, it's scary and creepy, and it will sit in your head. You'll remember some of the scenes in this. But it's so playful. It's so innocent and just like a childlike in its depiction of Halloween and violence and revenge. And it's just that's why I, I can't say enough about this movie. The more I watch it, like the more I appreciate how well it's done, the tone. And again, just you'll notice they'll the characters will pop in and out of other people's stories. You'll see them in the background. And it's not even their story. You'll just see those background characters in someone else's story. And it's just, I cannot think of another movie that does that. I mean, horror or otherwise. It's just really unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even um, at the end when he is kind of fighting the old man Krieg, mm -hmm. um, they kind of overlay, they overlay noises that he makes. And they're all like child noises. Like there's like a child's laugh and um, the grunts and uh, noises that he makes are all like, kids so they really 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 want to emphasize that he's a youthful spirit i guess yeah uh for lack of a better word um but they do so really well and then he also does i mean he himself appears in a number of like kind of back in the background in a number of scenes too mm -hmm. uh, he's not always like emphasized in the forefront but he's he's kind of lurking there um he's always present on halloween and then in a number of shots it's kind of implied that it's shot from his perspective. Mm -hmm. So there's shots of like him peeking out from behind a tree, uh, looking at people. Um, and he's not in the shot, but it's from his perspective. There's a number of shots like that. So that's why I kind of say that he's the subject of the movie and he's kind of like the main character because he's really involved in everything. Okay, um, we've done enough preamble here. Do you, are you ready, Jack, to dive into Trick or Treat and kind of walk people through the story of this movie? Let's go for it. Okay. First off, for anybody listening, if you haven't seen this movie, or even if you have, you know, what the hell with it, it can, applies to you too. This is a very difficult movie to describe to people because it takes place out of sequence. It's not a linear structure from start to finish like most other movies I've done. So... I think what we're going to do is we're going to break tradition a little bit here, and we're not going to walk through the, the stories as they happen in the movie. We're going to walk through them as they happen individually, and then we'll kind of talk about how they mesh with one another. Because, again, there's four stories in this movie. I think two of them are outstanding. They're among the best things I've ever seen in a horror movie, and that's the Rock Quarry and the uh, the Werewolf Girls. <laughs> but uh, So you think that's the best way to approach this, Jack? Just kind of talk about the four stories individually? Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so the movie starts, and there's like a little wraparound story where this couple is coming home from a night of Halloween merriment, 
and their names are Emma and and, uh, Henry, and just this middle-aged couple, and they're bitching about how they hate Halloween, and Halloween sucks, and, like, she's in a robot costume, and you don't really know why they're saying this. You just find out later that lots of bad things have happened all night, and then, uh, what, I I don't want to waste too much time on their story, but what happens? She just basically gets murdered here by Sam, right, at the start? Yep, well, she breaks one of the rules, and she blows out the candle and the jack-o'-lantern before the end of the night, and... You can't do that. You just can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Sam has to go, and he takes care of her. Yeah, and that's one repeating thing you'll you'll see throughout this movie is that someone is told a Halloween tradition. She is told, oh, don't blow out a jack-o'-lantern before the night's over. She says, you know, screw that. I'll do it anyway. She blows it out, and she is instantly murdered by Sam, the spirit of Halloween. And it's not an especially graphic murder. It's kind of playful, although he does insert like a, 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 a lollipop into her mouth to stretch her mouth out, right? Yeah, it's there's some there's some creepy imagery and there's a little bit of blood, but it's not it's not too bad. Um, and I think this scene also sets up uh, something that they kind of do throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. They like to they like to fake you out a lot, uh, kind of in lieu of jump scares. So it, initially, the scare is kind of set up as there's this kid kind of lurking across the street in this like creepy white mask and all black jumpsuit, um, and it's like oh. He's gonna he's gonna attack her or something or something's gonna happen with him, uh, but then he just gets in a car. He gets picked up by his friends and they drive him, and then out of nowhere Sam appears and murders her in a way that you wouldn't expect a tiny little you know jumpsuit kid to kid to do. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that's fun about this movie is the subverting of expectations, and we'll see that over and over. What what you think is happening is not what it's about to happen, and it just catches you off guard. And that's why I say this movie is so playful, and they're just grinning. You could just see how much fun they were having making it, and it's really going to be apparent in our first story here, one about the four girls going to a uh, a party. Yep. So this is uh this is where it starts out. There's just Four college-age girls um, shooting the shit in some changing stalls while they try on their costumes. Uh, side note, I don't know anyone who buys their costumes after dark on Halloween day. Um, that's okay. Um, you know, it fits It fits in with how everything works in this universe. And, you know, they're, it becomes apparent that they're trying to go to a party, or they're going to a party, but they need to get dates for said party. Um, and they kind of – they're kind of like – running around town trying to find different guys that they can uh, bring with them as plus ones to this party that we're talking about. And, you know, they've referenced a party before that they went to last year in Florida. Um, And so they're here for another party. And so it just seems like, oh, they're just, you know, young college age girls trying to find the best Halloween party that they can, which is pretty normal. Yeah. And and what's funny is in most horror movies, you kind of know where their story is going. These four girls just going from town to town on Halloween looking for some action. They're just openly talking about how they're going to have sex with guys and get drunk out in the woods. And it's just, you know, this is going to end poorly for them. That's where the subverting of expectations comes in. And that is not where this story is going. We won't find that out for a while, though. Nope. And uh, it's definitely going somewhere. (laughs) Um so we start off with them. They one of them picks up the cashier uh, at the costume store. A few others pick up these like newscasters that are in their news van out on the street. And um, then the last one, uh, who's kind of it's apparently going to be her first time, and they're talking about her in more uncertain terms, losing her virginity mm-hmm. that night. Um, and she picks up this 
guy who's wait 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 before we get to that let's talk about this girl Lori, because i i think it's important to delve into why she's portrayed the way that she is okay yeah there's the four three wild girls who are just out for a good time picking up any guy they're going to take him out to the woods and party with him and then the fourth one the virginal girl Lori, played by anna paquin a fairly i mean well well accomplished actress that she shows up in this movie for some reason but yeah she's the shy one she's the virgin she's she's the good girl and you know, in any other horror movie, we're going to get to the end and she's going to be the survivor. Like, all the other girls are going to get killed. But this good girl, Lori, who, in no coincidence, is named after Lori Strode in Halloween. I don't know if you knew that, Jack. I did not know that, but that is a great little Easter egg. Yeah, they named her specifically after Lori. And again, she's all shy and, I've never done it before. I've never been with a guy. I don't know how to do it. And so that's the whole characterization of her. She's the good girl that, that is probably going to survive this movie and be the hero. Or so we think. So so she runs into this kind of creepy guy who's who we've seen lurking around the town Halloween party. Um, he's wearing a vampire costume, and just moments before he had uh, – I mean he murdered this girl um, <laughs> by biting her with his fake vampire teeth. So he's kind of like set up as a bad guy, and so we're led to believe, oh, oh no, this innocent girl is going to – you know, get murdered by him too. Mm -hmm. And she's walking through a dark forest. Uh, she's the only one out there on the path. And this guy appears behind her and it's like, oh shit, we know where this is going. Yeah. The virginal girl, girl out in the woods in a dark path being accosted by the guy in a vampire costume. This will not end well for Lori. Yep. There's only one way that that can end. Or is there? <laughs> yes. Because it cuts to the next scene and he falls from the tree canopy into this kind of like campfire area. Um, it's basically, I mean, that's where the party's happening. Uh, there's a bunch of kids just, you know, drinking and hanging out, out in this clearing in the woods uh, with a big bonfire and these like tiki torches uh, around the whole place. And he just falls from the tree canopy out of nowhere. Uh, no explanation as to how that happened. He just, you know, drops to the forest floor. Um <laughs> And we're like, okay, something's not right here. Yeah, so his body goes flinging into the woods, and like it ends up in this forest clearing where all the girls are waiting, and the girls all have dates out there. And this is where we realize that what we think is happening is not what is actually happening, that these are not four virginal girls, you know, walking around trying to get laid for the night. No, they're actually creatures of the night selecting their victims. And Lori, you know, walking alone in the woods saying, it's, I've never done it before, it's my first time. It's not so much that she's never had sex before, it's that she's never actually undergone the transformation into being a werewolf, where you make your first kill. And tonight's the very exciting night where she gets to make her first kill. And we get what could only be described as a blood orgy in the middle of the woods that you were not expecting. Yeah, and it's a, as far as the werewolf transformations, they're pretty gruesome. <laughs> um, it's not just like their their body kind of you know contorts and morphs into the shape of a wolf and grows hair and everything. No, they literally, like, take their fingernails and cut through the skin and then, like, rip off the skin and they throw it to the side and it, like, flops around like some, like, like rubber. It's it's gross. I mean, it's, like, it's really gruesome. Um, well, it's not so gory that would, like, turn you off. It's just very realistic looking. It's like, wow, I did not realize this was now a werewolf feeding frenzy. Yeah, basically. Um, and it's... 
you know, it's it's just not at all what you'd expect from these like from these you know random girls who were set up to be victims. Uh, it's it's a big fake out and it's a big shock and it's it's one of those things that makes you kind of lean back and go like, oh, that was uh, that was a good move on the film. <laughs> like well done there's no way you could predict for that scene and again i feel bad if we're spoiling it for you but it's it's you'll appreciate the artistry how well it's done where you know virginal Lori is all alone and she's never been with a guy and the scene ends with her straddling her victim leaning up in ecstasy as they have sex or whatever and then she's bathed in blood as she turns into a werewolf and devours him as the four girls who ostensibly travel around the world doing this every Halloween, just selecting random victims and feeding on them. They have a big, you know, blood orgy out in the woods. And it's a, it's a fun ending to this, what I would call story number one in this movie. And then don't forget that lurking in the background, silently approving of what's going on is Sam. Sam. Down in the middle of the party, just, just hanging out, <laughs> making sure that everything is right in in the world of Halloween. So, so apparently Sam disapproves if you blow out a jack-o'-lantern, but if you feast on the entrails of the innocent, that's cool? Yeah, because that's what's supposed to happen on Halloween. <laughs> yes. I mean, that doesn't happen at my Halloween, but I will, I will yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, this is a fun story. This is one of the two standout stories, and again, all these stories are intercut, like one scene from one story, the one from the next, one to the next. They ping pong back and forth, and it's like an editor's nightmare. But when I, we're just laying them out one by one. That's the story number one, the werewolf girls. Mm-hmm. So I guess we can um, – let's jump to the principal story. <laughs> yeah, story number two, the principal. Yeah, yep. Uh, so this one starts out with this kid, uh, big, this fat kid. Uh, trick-or-treating he's been smashing jack-o'-lanterns up and down the street which is um you know that's a no-no yep if you check the rule book that is a big no-no um and then he comes up to uh this one house um and is greeted by uh his his school principal mm -hmm. uh principal wilkins mr wilkins uh played by dylan baker who i think does a great job of portraying kind of like a creepy <laughs> Middle-aged white man. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Let's not gloss over the kid. Now, you may not know that kid. Do you know the kid in this movie, Charlie, where he's from? No. One of the funniest movies I have ever seen in my life from the early 2000s, Bad Santa. Oh. There's a very unfortunate-looking child. He's way bigger than most kids. He's got the biggest face, scrunched-up little eyes, and this curly red hair. One of the most unfortunate-looking kids I have ever seen in show business. And I think it's horrible that his, his parents put him into movies because he just is very unfortunate-looking. He grew up to be in this movie. That's Brett Kelly in, uh, in Trick or Treat playing Charlie. Okay, so I did not know that. I haven't seen Bad Santa. Yeah. So. Watch Bad Santa. <laughs> Yep, so he is greeted by his school principal who gives him a little bit more candy. Um and they sit there and uh they sit there on the on the doorstep and have some small talk while uh while Charlie is chowing down on his candy, the principal is being super creepy. Have you ever seen the movie Happiness? I do not know Happiness, no. How does that tie in here? Um so in that movie he plays um a pedophile father. <laughs> oh. Um and that's a that's a more serious movie. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, you know, I think he he's his casting is has done well in both movies. So if you've seen that movie going into this one, then you're kind of like, oh, this guy, the creepy pedo principal. Yes, um, and he 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 plays that up. I think at the very least, creepy, um, in in Trick or Treat. 
Well, well okay. Let, let's not overlook the fact that Charlie broke an important rule here. You skipped over that. He did, yes. So he The honor system of candy. Yes. Um, he Well, not only was he smashing jack-o'-lanterns, he also forgot one of the most important rules of Halloween, uh, which Mr. Wilkins reminds him of, is always check your candy. Um, and instantly, you know, this kid just lets out like the Willy Wonka chocolate river onto the principal's doorstep. <laughs> Disgusting. A vomit and blood, yes. The the kid, Charlie, has been walking around, knocking over jack-o'-lanterns. Every time there's an honor system of candy where it says take one, he's been taking a bunch because he's a big fat kid. And the principal has set a trap for poor Charlie that he laced all his candy with cyanide just to kill this kid. And so that's the this horrible scene of a kid unleashing a torrent of vomit and blood because his principal has just murdered him right on his front step. It's a very I wouldn't say graphic and gruesome. It's kind of comical because it's so over the top. But yeah, it is. Poor Brett Kelly has been murdered by his principal here. Uh, yep. And so he drags him unceremonious, unceremoniously into the house, um, and then back to the backyard where he dumps him in what appears to be a mass grave. He's not the only body in there. So this principal has more. He's got a body count. Yeah. Um, he is not a good principal. Not at all. Um, and you know, toss him into the hole. Um, he's not quite dead yet, so he's like kicking him in the head, like just trying to trying to off this kid. Um, and it eventually does by like smashing him with a shovel, because um, <laughs> he's still twitching at the hole when uh, the neighbor uh, is yelling at him, creepy old neighbor, and his son, uh, the principal's son, is yelling from the top window of the house, making a big scene, um, and he's just like, "Shut up, kid!" And because the kid wants to carve a pumpkin. And the principal's like, okay, later, you know, daddy's got a date tonight as he's burying multiple bodies in his backyard. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go back to the subverting expectations here. This one is fantastic. I kind of forgot how they do this in this one until I watched it today that, yeah, this this principal is murdering kids in his backyard. He's got a stash of kids that he's killed from his school and he buries them back there. And his son is up in the house going, daddy, daddy, come in and help me carve the jack-o'-lantern. You know, he's – the kid is – yeah, he's just being a nuisance, yelling at his dad, trying to get his attention, trying to get him to come carve a jack-o'-lantern. And dad's like, just just go back in and watch Charlie Brown. And that's where we get my favorite line of the movie, which is where this kid – you know, he's like a little, you know, six, seven-year-old kid. He, he yells at his dad, oh, but Charlie Brown's an asshole. <laughs> wow. It's just like kind of out of nowhere. And it's just like one of those just bust up laughing for a moment things because it's just – so random and, and direct. It's, it's really funny. Throwing some shade at Charlie Brown here on Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> so the kid is up in the house yelling at his dad, Dad, come in. We have to carve the pumpkin. It's important. It's late. And the dad, of course, is burying bodies saying, Shh, wait, I'll be up there in a minute. And the kid is, you know, so eager. He's like, you have to help me carve the eyes. We, we always carve together and help me carve the eyes. I can never get them right. And dad's like, all right. So you think this is one of these duality plays where the dad is like super creepy in person and he's got this innocent son upstairs but that's not quite the case jack because we're going to go inside and what happens when they carve their pumpkin together um well they first first of all he walks inside and there's a the doorbell rings and he answers the door and there's a few kids that he that he knows from school and he gives them some candy you know standard halloween stuff mm -hmm. um they see the blood um all over his shirt and they think that it's part of the costume but uh little do they know and so the kids leave, um, and behind the kids is Sam. So Sam goes trick-or-treating at this guy's house, too. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an important thing to mention. Uh, and we'll see the kids later as well. So they run off. He walks into the kitchen. And then we get uh, what I think is the only jump scare of the movie, 
the kid jumps up in this like creepy little mask and scares his dad. It's like a, it's a jump scare, but it's kind of a lighthearted, yeah, playful, uh, no, not serious, playful jump scare. Um, and then he's like, "Okay, daddy, let's go, let's go carve this pumpkin." And so he grabs a big, big kitchen knife, the Michael Myers knife, mm-hmm. um, is kind of hiding it behind his back, um, as the kid leads him downstairs. Um, uh, and then he starts to realize, oh, I know exactly where this is going. He's been burying bodies out in the yard. He's gonna kill his kid. His kid's annoying him. He's going to kill his kid. Yeah. He's going to be the next one. So they walk over to this table uh, in the middle of the basement that presumably has a pumpkin on it. And the kid's like, all right, let's make a scary face, Daddy. Don't forget to help me with the eyes. And then the dad raises the knife and then swiftly brings it down and stabs the pumpkin or stabs his kid's head Mm -hmm. um, because there was a euphemism for – you know, carving a pumpkin was a euphemism for going to brutally murder my son. But then the camera pulls back out, and his son is fine. And what's on the table, Mario? It's the head of Charlie, the kid that he just murdered. So basically, here's what this story was. The principal has murdered this kid who takes too much candy. He buries him in the backyard. He cuts the head off of the kid, and he brings it inside so he and his son can share a special bonding moment where they carve a jack-o'-lantern out of this poor dead kid's head. Yeah, this is one of the more disturbing parts of the movie. Uh, <laughs> but it's sweet. They're sharing a moment, the dad and son. Although it, I should be said, it should be said the kid is super creepy. The kid's like... I love when you do the eyes. I love it. <laughs> it's really, it's really creepily, creepily shot. This whole scene and this whole principle. Um, and so I don't know if we'll come to this because we kind of already touched on this story. But it, it turns out that the principal, uh, after this, must you know we don't see this on screen, but he dresses up in a <laughs> yeah. Save this. Save this. We'll save this for later. <laughs> yeah. This will not be the end of the principal's night. Okay. Actually, you know what? Don't save this. I, I changed my mind because there's nowhere else to talk about it. All right, so what happens after this story, later in the movie we see, where did the principal go and which other story? Um, so he uh, – we we saw earlier the vampire kind of lurking around town. Uh, he murdered that one girl on the street, and then he goes on uh, on a date with uh, with Lori, uh, the, the werewolf. Mm-hmm. And when she takes his vampire mask off, we see – oh. It's Mr. Wilkins. It's the principal. He's the evil, murderous vampire. Yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of a messed up family there. That kid's going to have some issues. Well, I'll even go one step further. So the principal is now killing kids in his school and helping his son carve their heads into jack-o'-lanterns, which we assume is like a yearly activity. This happens every year. More than likely. Yeah, yeah, more than likely. So then the principal decides, I'm going to go afterwards, and I have a date. And what he does, he dresses up in this vampire costume, and he looks for drunk girls that he can basically have sex with in alleyways. Because I don't know if you noticed that. He didn't actually kill that girl in the alley. She's just drunk. He date rapes her is what he does. Well, he well she does die at the end. Cause... No, she doesn't die. She's just passed out. He doesn't kill her. No, he does because he, he sets her body up out on the street next to these other people that are passed out, but her eyes are open and he closes her eyes, so she does die. I guess I'm mistaken, but he's still a, still a scummy date rapist slash killer. Yeah, and he, like, the way he kills them is he bites them with these vampire teeth, <laughs> and I guess they bleed out. But they're fake vampire teeth, though. They're fake, but they work. I mean, she's <laughs> covered in blood by the time. Those are some great vampire teeth. 
They're yeah, pretty well done. <laughs> yeah, so the principal goes out there and he becomes the vampire that the werewolf girls feast on later. So he he meets his comeuppance and he, even at the end is like, "What the hell is going on?" He has no idea he's about to be feasted on by werewolves. But it's just a neat instance of how one story leads into the next, and you don't realize it until the end of the movie. And that one you're kind of satisfied with. It kind of makes you yeah. It makes the it really turns the the werewolves into protagonists there. That they, <laughs> sure. they took care of the. Uh, crazy evil uh principle well that explains why sam was so happy with the werewolf blood orgy because they're they're killing the right guy exactly. this guy deserves to die he was killing kids mm-hmm. all right so we finished story one and story two the werewolf girls and then the principal who kills kids and now we're going to go to the big standout one in this movie in my opinion the story three the rock quarry which i think is the one that everyone remembers from this movie this is also my favorite scene i think this one is, does the best job of telling its own kind of story within the anthology. It's the, I mean, it's definitely the standout story. This, I mean, this one could be made into its own movie mm-hmm. and still be great. Um, Cause it's just a great story. What I like about this one is it's genuinely creepy and it doesn't have to cheat to creep you out. It's not bloody. It's not gory. It's not jump scary. It's not torturey. This is a legitimately 20 minute creepy twilight zone type story. That's going to sit in your head. You'll remember this one. Mm hmm. And, you know, also to preface, this is the story I think that they do the best job of kind of building the characters in. Mm-hmm. Uh, each one really gets their own personality. And in a 20 minute segment, that's that's an oppressive thing to do. Yeah. Uh, they really build everyone out well. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of sympathy to be had in this one. And it's the most emotionally hard hitting, I guess, uh, I guess you could say. There's ups and downs, and again, like the other one, it will subvert your expectations because it will not go where you think it's going to go twice. It's a, It actually doubles back on itself towards the end. So I'll set up this one. I'll let you take it once we get going. But in story number two, the principal, there's the little scene where these three kids trick-or-treat at the door, and they're dragging a wagon behind them, and they say they're collecting pumpkins. We're collecting pumpkins for UNICEF. And they're these innocent little kids, and you think they're doing a nice thing, but they're not. They're basically setting up what's going to be a horrible, horrible prank they're about to pull on somebody. And I turn it over to you, Jack. Lead us there. Yep, so we get to meet these three kids. Um, there's two older girls, or there's there's two girls, and then there's this boy. So there's four kids. I'm wrong. I'm not the three. There's four. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so these kids walk away from the door, and instantly they're our – our view of them is shattered because the the one girl who's dressed up like an angel um, is ironically just a total bitch. <laughs> um, the other one, you know, tries to go get drunk at this at this woman's house, um, and then the younger boy just swears like a sailor the whole time. So these kids are not they're not at all innocent kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this fourth kid runs up to them in this creepy mask. Um, his name's Schrader. He shows up, um, and he's kind of you know not as much of a of a little shit as the other kids are. He, he kind of seems to be the only decent one of the bunch. Uh, they keep walking down the street until they get to this house that is just covered in jack-o'-lanterns. You know, there's hundreds of them outside this house. And they walk up to the house, and they're like, oh, that's Rhonda the Retard's house. And this girl comes out. She's wearing a witch costume. And she's you can instantly tell she's really off. You know, she's you no know, maybe mildly autistic or who knows. She's she's not a normal girl, and it's clear like she's a girl that gets picked on a lot in school. Um, the way the kids talk about her, like they don't like her. She's weird, and she comes out of the house, and they start to hang out with her. 
Yeah, and what's what's going on here is they're setting up a horrible prank. They're going to take this girl who is somewhere on the autism spectrum, it looks like, and they're just going to mess with her tonight. And they basically have come to her house because she has all these pumpkins. That's why they picked her. And they say, let's take these. We need eight pumpkins. And they, they say they're collecting them for UNICEF, but they're really not. What they're really doing is they need eight pumpkins, and they need this girl, Rhonda, and they're going to go play a prank on her, which is horribly cruel. And they're going to uh, they basically walk across town to this place called the Rock Quarry, this really creepy old abandoned rock quarry, and it's all gated off and fenced off, and it looks like a place that would be haunted and you see fog all over the place and yeah I mean, this is the point where the movie kind of it becomes very like dreamlike in a sense um and i think that kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier with like an idealized version of halloween um there's this one shot when they're walking out to the rock quarry where these kids are like dragging this it's like a it's like a shopping cart full of all these pumpkins um they walk past this like dark field that has like scarecrows and like corn husks piled up into these cones and pumpkins growing out in the field it's just like this perfect shot of like an ideal halloween landscape mm -hmm. i guess for a better word and it's just perfect uh and so we see that on their way out to the quarry and then we get to the quarry which is just the super super creepy setting you know super foggy super run down like it's a very it's very horror movie yeah like Although on the way, let's point out that 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 uh, Rhonda, the weird girl, is explaining the rules and the rituals of Halloween, and she's oh, yeah. Just, yeah she's one of these weird kids. She's talking about you know uh, Sam Hain, Sawin, I forget what she talks about, and she goes you know this is the da this is the night when the barrier between the living and the dead is the thinnest, so the dead can cross to the living, the living can cross to the dead, and the other kids are just kind of humoring her because she's weird. They're like yeah whatever and. Rhonda's talking about all this, and they're humoring her because all they want to do is get her to this quarry so they can mess with her. Yeah, but, you know, in actuality, Rhonda's the one who really gets it. I mean, she's probably the only person who really just kind of gets it mm -hmm. uh, about Halloween. Yeah, she she's basically Sam. Yeah, basically. Um, and they have a little interaction later that we can, that we can talk about in the future. Um, but so they get to this quarry, and this is probably, you know, one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, and I love it when movies do this. Um, so they, they, they're talking about this kind of urban legend, this like local town story that you know everyone supposedly knows. It's the story of the, the, the kids in the quarry or the haunted quarry, I guess. The uh, Halloween school bus massacre. Oh yes, Halloween school bus massacre. I knew it had a formal name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love it when movies do this, where they kind of have a person in the story who's like narrating it. But then they show on screen what the story is mm -hmm. kind of outside of the film, but it's narrated by someone who's a character in the movie. I, I love it when movies do that, and this one does a really good job. And this is just a heartbreaking scene. I will I'll try to paint a picture for people. It's basically the story is the girl tells – the girl. they're all telling Rhonda. All this is a setup for Rhonda just to mess with her. And the girl Macy's like, you know, here we are at the quarry, and you look down, you see this giant lake below. That used to be a pit where they dig rocks out. And she's like, you know, 30 years ago, something horrible happened here. And she's telling the story, and she's like, as she's telling the story, we see it. And it's this really <laughs> this messed up story about how there were these eight special needs kids, like uh you know, special education kids 30 years ago, and every day they would be bused to school. They had to be taken out of the city because the parents were embarrassed of them. And then one day, the parents paid the bus driver. They're like, you know, we're tired of having these special needs kids. They mess with our lives. We can't really raise them. We're embarrassed of them. 
So they paid this bus driver to take the special needs kids to the rock quarry. He chains them into their seat and he drives over the cliff and drowns them. And so that's the story the girl tells. There's eight dead bodies down there in the lake. The driver swam out and got out and he was fine. But there's eight, you know, special needs kids that drowned in this lake because the parents paid to have them killed. Yeah, it's a, it's a brutal story. It's really and, you know, this is, again, the more the most emotional of the stories, I think, um, in this movie. So they decide they're going to go down um, and visit the quarry. And I don't know exactly what they're trying to do down there, but. Oh, Basie's got a plan. She She's like, we're going to pay tribute to the dead bodies. We're going to take this elevator down, all the way down to the water, and we're going to leave these eight pumpkins there, one for each of the children who died in, in their memory. Yep, so they, Macy, and then the other girl, I don't remember her name, and um, Schrader, they go down first. Mm-hmm. Um, they go down to this rickety old like mining elevator. It's like a cage, basically. And they ride this down, and it's you know super creepy. It's you know, rattling and rickety and everything. And the three of them ride it down. And then the other boy um, stays up at the top of the quarry with Rhonda. And they just hang out there for a little bit until the elevator comes back up. And then they take the elevator down. And on their way down, they see the three kind of lights that the that the other kids have. And they can hear what's happening. And they're like, the kids are down there, and they're like, "Oh, what, what's this? What's this moving over here?" And then it turns out that like it sounds and looks like they got attacked by something down there. Yeah, presumably the zombies of the kids that were killed in the bus crash. Yeah, this is all a big prank. They're getting this autistic girl Rhonda down to the quarry, and the kids down there are pretending that they were attacked by zombies, and they've all dressed up in costume, and so they're really just trying to scare the crap out of this autistic girl and pretending that there's these monsters down there and they were all attacked, and it's really a brutal scene where Rhonda is just terrified, and she screams and runs away, and her glasses fall off, and the other kids are like laughing because they were, they got her so bad and they tricked her, and just a really nasty scene, and again, it's subverting what you're expecting because you don't realize this was a prank until right now. Although I should point out, just in the the stories interlocking in this movie, as they're going down in the elevator, they hear werewolves, so they're actually hearing the blood orgy and from story number one happening at that time. Yep, that's another great way that these stories like subtly intertwine. Yeah. So what happens with Rhonda after she is tricked? So you know, she's obviously rightfully scared out of her mind and upset with these kids who just are you know messing with her for no good reason i mean again it's a horrible horrible prank i mean it wasn't like funny i mean they really kind of traumatized this girl yeah um and schrader is the only one again the only kind of decent one of the bunch he he feels bad you know he probably should have felt bad earlier (laughs) before he did it yeah yeah he feels bad that they kind of did this to her he sees like oh she's actually you know horribly traumatized by this um, and the other ones are just kind of laughing and like, you know, they thought it was funny. They liked it. They thought it was a good idea. Um, uh, but he feels bad and he, he, he walks over to Rhonda and he's like comforting her and he says, I'm sorry, Rhonda. It was, it was just a trick. Um, uh, everything's okay. It was just a trick. And then they decide, okay, the prank's over. You know, we're just going to go back up and go back into town because, you know, it's over now. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the way over, uh, Macy kicks a pumpkin over into the water, putting it out and, you know, breaking the pumpkin. Well, we heard earlier, Rhonda said as they were going down, she's like, if you have a candle, you're protected against the undead. 
and the uh, yeah. yeah Macy, the leader of the girls, kicks out the only candle down when they're down in the quarry, and all of a sudden there's no protection against the dead, and this will not turn out well for our little pranksters. Definitely not. So as soon as she does that, and they're about to go back up, we start to hear some rattling off in the distance, some weird noises, and then suddenly these zombies spring up out of the ground. And we can't see them super clearly, but we can see, oh, these are the same masks that the kids were wearing uh, on the bus. The dead kids. The dead kids. Um, so then we realize, oh, these are actually the zombies, and they're coming to get everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're, you know, freaking out, screaming. Everyone's terrified again. And Rhonda's the first one to get to the elevator. And she lock- she closes the door uh, on the other four kids, and she's about to, you know, they're shaking on the cage. They're saying, Rhonda, let us in. Please, please. And um, she grabs the key, and we see her hand slowly move over towards the handle. And instead of unlocking it, she presses the up button, and she goes up by herself, leaving the rest of the kids to die. And there's a great line in there, too, where Schrader, uh, again, the only one of the kids that we're kind of sympathetic towards, he's banging on the cage. He says, Rhonda, please, it's not a trick. It's real, Uh, which completely, uh, you know. Echo, opposite echoes what he said just a few minutes before. Rhonda, it was just a trick. I'm sorry. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, great little moment there. <laughs> um, and the rest of the kids, we hear them get murdered, and Rhonda goes up alone, safe um, and satisfied that uh, you know she had the last laugh in the end. Yeah, this is a pretty badass scene because, again, Rhonda was just tricked by all these kids who played the most horrible prank on her. And all of a sudden, these zombies come to life, these these dead kids out of the lake to enact revenge on whoever killed them. And all the pranksters are trapped down there. And, yeah, they're trying to get to Rhonda. Rhonda gets in the elevator first. And, again, if you've never seen this, they're a good 100, 150, 200 feet below the, the, the street level. So they're completely trapped without this elevator. And Rhonda just waves to them as she's going up and leaving them to be savagely devoured by the zombies. She's like, goodbye. And that's about it. And Rhonda basically gets her revenge and she walks home. And as she's at the top of the quarry, you hear all the sound of the kids being ripped apart down in the quarry. And Rhonda's walking home. And you just kind of see Sam sitting there watching, nodding his approval because Rhonda understands the rules of Halloween. And she that's why she deserves to live. Yep. It's a great, she has a great little moment there with Sam at the top yeah. uh, as the kids are being brutally murdered below. Yeah. But again, this is a genuinely creepy scene, and there are not enough horror movies that I think have genuinely creepy scenes. You watch this one and you'll remember it. It's just the, the emotion and the, like, uh, the setup and the delivery. And again, it's not graphic. There's no blood in it. There's no gore. There's no torture. There's nothing in it. But you know what's going on, and it's just horrible, and you... You kind of pump your fist a little for Rhonda getting her revenge against these horrible kids. And then it's kind of hard to put into words the atmosphere that they pull off really well with just – I mean the whole setting is just terrifying. I mean it's a quarry, which you know I don't know why quarries are inherently scary, but I guess you know we'll say that they are. Uh, it's super foggy. There's like you know creepy-looking plants and rocks everywhere, and it's you know old and run down. It's – the whole setting and the whole atmosphere is just super creepy. They do a great job of matching that with the – with the subject matter there. Yeah. And fog. I cannot say enough oh, about fog. fog. How well. Absolutely. Yeah. How good they use fog in this movie. It should be like a law that every Halloween has to be foggy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just makes everything that much creepier. Yeah. But that's the big standout scene in the movie, The Quarry. So if you've never seen this movie, if you want to see a really well done 20 minutes of a horror movie, watch Trick or Treat and watch for The Quarry scene. I cannot say enough about it. And you know what? We're not even done yet. We got one more story. Poor little story. This one's uh, 
I think if this movie has a climax, he would probably say that this one's it. Because this is where Sam himself really gets involved with things. Yeah, this is this is my least favorite of the four stories. And I, I, I wish it wasn't at the end because I don't think it's as good as the other stories. But it needs to be at the end because of the punchline. So... So we'll get to that. Okay, so we'll go to our fourth story here. And this is, there's this mean man in town, Mr. Krieg, played by Brian Cox, very famous character actor. I'm surprised they got him in this movie, but here he is. And he's the mean old man in town. He's got long, stringy stringy hair. He's got a mustache. And uh, for horror movie fans, there's a lot of references to other horror movies in here that he is intentionally supposed to look like John Carpenter, the director of Halloween. I don't know if people know that. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So Mr. Krieg is the the town grump. He doesn't participate in Halloween. When kids come and trick-or-treat at his house, he scares them away. He doesn't give them candy. And this will not go well because Sam, the spirit of Halloween himself, is now going to come up and enact revenge when an old man who disrespects Halloween must die. Yep, so Krieg, we had seen him earlier. He was kind of, you know, messing with uh, Principal Wilkins while he was uh, burying bodies in his yard. Um, he was kind of yelling at him, and we saw this quick, quick little shot of him in the doorway of the, the in the window of his door um, when Wilkins was walking up to his porch, and he was like banging on the window and yelling "Help! Help! Help!" and then gets tackled by something. Yeah. Um, and so that happened like way earlier at the beginning of the movie, um, and so now we've come to Mr. Krieg in his home, and he's hearing weird noises. Uh, doesn't really know what's going on. You know, we're in like s- stereotypical horror movie territory here weird noises in a creepy looking house so he walks upstairs to his bedroom and finds a like animatronic hand you know as something you would see as like part of someone's you know front porch halloween decorations in his bed kind of making noises and so we're led to believe oh that's that's what it was it was just you know someone put a prank pulled a prank and put the put the hand in his bed but then suddenly in the corner of the room, this jack-o'-lantern like erupts in flames, and we see a bunch of you know words written in blood all over the walls. <laughs> it's like an escape room. Yeah, it's this is a little this part's you know pretty creepy in in typical horror movie fashion. Okay, so yeah, he, all of a sudden the little spirit of Halloween shows up, Sam, the little two-foot demon with a burlap sack on his head, and he instantly launches into an attack on Mister Krieg. And this is a very long extended sequence of about 10 minutes of them just fighting. And Mr. Krieg has a gun and Sam's trying to kill him. And it's just, it goes on for a while. It's kind of a fun, playful fight. And eventually there's some fun little moments in there. Like when Sam holds up a candy bar, peels back the wrapper and there's like a razor blade in it. (laughs) Playing upon typical, you know, fears of razor blades and candy on Halloween. Uh, But he's actually using it to try and kill this old man. Yeah. Uh, So it's a it's not a bad fight scene. Um, Sam proves to be a formidable opponent for a two foot tall little, you know, burlap sack. <laughs> he's small, but he's scrappy. Yeah, I mean, he throws like broken glass onto the floor. Um, he sta- he stabs Mr. Krieg multiple times. Uh, it's he's really he's really fighting him. He's trying to hurt him. He's trying to make him pay for breaking the laws of Halloween. Yeah. And Krieg will eventually win this fight. The old man grabs his shotgun, and he just blows Sam to all hell. He just shoots him over and over, and Sam explodes like a pumpkin. And again, you think it would be bloody, but it's like, because Sam's a pumpkin, it's not really as gory as you think it would be. And Sam, you know, all his limbs go flying across the room, and he gets just... just... Oh, we do get the big reveal here. We finally get to see Sam without his mask. (laughs) Um, And, you know, before he's cute, like he's got the... He's, he's kind of cute, 
that burlap sack and like the like the fluffy fleece onesie but you rip off his his mask and he's just like this weird deformed pumpkin <laughs> creature face thing i mean it's 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 pretty creepy looking the the best equivalent I can give to people is he looks like Jason Voorhees at the end of Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven when the he gets his mask knocked knocked off. That's just the general face here. But it's very pumpkin like too. I mean, you can tell like he he's supposed to look like a pumpkin, uh, which is fitting because he's you know the, <laughs> he, he has a pumpkin. Of Halloween. Yeah. 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 So Sam has been blown apart. He's like scattered across the room, and Krieg is like, "Thank God." And then we get this really interesting scene where Sam's body parts start moving towards each other. And it's basically like, you know, Iron Giant when all the pieces. Yes, come back it's like and... Iron Giant. Exactly like that. All the pieces start reforming into a hole. And like, what what does Krieg say? You got to be effing kidding me or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And apparently this is a little homage to the thing. That's a, it's kind of an homage to a very famous scene in the thing. Oh, OK. Oh, that makes sense. So Sam cannot be killed is the the point there. Yep, and then he bears down upon Mr. Krieg, uh, again pulls out – well, this time he doesn't pull out his razor blade candy. He uh, bites a chunk out of a lollipop, turns it into like this like, you know, axe knife kind of thing, um, and he gets ready to stab Mr. Krieg, and uh, he grabs this little tray for defense, and there's a bottle of whiskey on it that he breaks and tries to stab Sam with it, but Sam grabs it. And proves that he's, you know, stronger than Mr. Krieg. Um, and then he, you know, takes the takes the lollipop and stabs down into him. But he doesn't he doesn't kill him. How does Mr. Krieg survive, Mario? Mr. Krieg should be dead. Sam tries to murder him, but for some reason he's holding a candy bar. And as Sam tries to murder him, the the his this death weapon goes right into McCrieg's candy bar. And Sam interprets this as a gesture. Sam is like, well, he has just offered me candy. So even though he's broken Halloween rules before, now he is he's seen fit to follow Halloween rules by handing me candy. And this appeases Sam. Sam decides he will save his life. He's given him candy. Sam just basically takes the candy bar and leaves. And so all is right in the world for Mr. Krieg. Yep. And then the camera pans over to Mr. Krieg cowering in the corner, narrowly having escaped death by the hands of the spirit of Halloween. And it pans over to the fireplace where we see a box of photographs that was knocked over. And it pans deeper into the fire and zooms in. And then you can see a photograph of a younger man standing next to a group of kids in front of a bus. And we recognize these kids because these kids are the eight special needs kids that were left to die in the quarry years ago. Turns out Mr. Creek was the bus driver. Yeah, that was the thing from the Quarry story. They never found what happened to the bus driver. Turns out he became this creepy old man, Mr. Krieg. He's been living in plain sight this entire time because, again, he was never run out of town. The parents actually paid him to kill their kids. So there was no shame. He just kind of lived here in silence. So Mr. Krieg survives Halloween, and he is back with his secret that he was the one that killed all those kids in the Quarry. Or wait, does he actually survive Halloween? Well, um... After that, so after his little saga, the movie cuts to this little epilogue, um, and it shows a few different scenes of kind of what's going on in the town with the different stories that we've followed. So the principal's son is sitting out on the doorstep of their house handing out candy, mm-hmm. um, but he's wearing his father's clothes, uh, glasses. So it's like, you know, the son has kind of taken his father's place, uh, despite the fact that his father was unknowingly to him just murdered by some werewolves in the forest. 
Uh, and the girls, uh, the werewolves, drive past in a car, licking their lips, uh, definitely satisfied with the meal they just had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Rhonda walks back to her house carrying a bunch of jack-o'-lanterns with her because she survived. You know, she's okay, and she's, you know, a believer more strongly than ever now in the traditions of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see the couple um, from the very beginning of the movie, once again, having their fight. Um, and we see her blow out the candle uh, in the jack-o'-lantern, and Mr. Krieg uh, unknowingly was watching this whole thing, and he sees Sam walk over to go take care of the of the woman who blew out the jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, the wraparound from the beginning. We just see that now. Now we explain why she died at the beginning, because she blows out the jack-o'-lantern. Sam is still pissed he didn't kill anybody with his little weapon, and he's like, well, I might as well kill her, I guess. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then Creed goes back inside, and he's just, you know, getting ready to go to sleep, I guess. And then the doorbell rings one more time, and he walks over the door, and he opens the door, and who's standing there? Well, the first time it's a bunch of little kids trick-or-treating, and he's like, all right, I'll give you candy. And then he's he's like, I believe in Halloween, fine, and he does that. And then the second time the doorbell rings, and he opens it up, and behold, it's the all the zombie kids from the quarry that he killed 30 years ago that have been resurrected because of the Rhonda prank. The zombie kids take out their revenge on Krieg and kill him. But we only see it in comic book, which I love. It's all of a sudden the end credits, and it's just like a comic book of a bunch of little frames of zombie kids ripping Mr. Krieg apart as the movie ends. Well, but don't forget the final line of the movie. It looks, it zooms in on the, the kid who is dressed up as Dracula, and he's standing there all rotten and gross from spending, you know, thirty years in the quarry. He looks up at Mister Krieg, holds out his hand, and says, "Trick or treat." <laughs> and it's the perfect capstone to this perfect film. Oh yes, such a fun little. Again, it's kind of a slight movie. It doesn't really. There's no bigger importance to it. It's just a fun little tale of four Halloween stories all going on at once. and It's only like an hour and 20 minutes long, so it's a pretty short movie, too. Oh, yeah. And you don't really have to get invested in it, but the more you watch it, the more you'll appreciate how well it's done. And like Jack said, there's a little wraparound at the end where all the characters from all the stories just kind of intersect at this one street. And they're all walking past each other, and you can see, okay, we did this, the werewolves are happy, Rhonda's got her pumpkins, the little boy is now becoming his dad, the principal. Just a really neat thing, and then Krieg, of course, gets his comeuppance from the zombies. And, uh, yeah, it's just a a fun, creepy, eerie, accessible. It's the word I always use on horror movies, accessible. If you don't love horror movies, if it's not your thing, this is one you probably would appreciate just because it's so well done. And it just astounds me that it didn't get a theatrical release when I see stuff that does get a theatrical release that's nowhere near as good as this. It's just amazing. I guess, you know, the anthology format is not kind of the most popular in the mainstream, but as far as cult movies come, I mean, this one's pretty, it's got to be pretty high up there on the list. Yeah of like, you know, strongest cult followings. There has been calls for a sequel for years, I guess. Um, and while they've never made one, you know, I think this is a movie that could lend itself pretty well to a sequel just because because it doesn't have to do the same stories again. It yeah. can survive perfectly fine with, you know, just four more anthology stories that are equally as well done, uh, maybe even taking place in the same town, uh, but just kind of, you know, there's just so much subject matter that you could that you could use for Halloween. Um, there's so many different things you could you could take a look at in these little short films. Um, so I think like, you know, there's been talk about a sequel for a while, and I think, you know, that's one that I wouldn't complain about, and I would have pretty high hopes for. Yeah, it almost feels like it could be a TV show, like a 30-minute TV show. 
Yeah. Because I, like you said, every every story can be self-contained. They don't have to carry over into anything else. It's just someone breaks the rules of Halloween and Sam enforces it. Like you can make a Twilight Zone type show out of this. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I was reading somewhere that that like it's a tradition for like horror movie channels like Turner Classic Movies or American Movie Classics to show John Carpenter's Halloween on Halloween. That's the, the tradition because it was the only really Halloween movie out there that over the years, this one has started to gather some steam where this one's now becoming the Halloween movie where TV channels will show this one and movie marathons will show this because this really encapsulates everything that is Halloween all in one movie. So. Kind of, it's one of these you want to kind of want to get in on the ground floor before it's really, really famous one day. So it's one of these movies that I don't think is – it will be a big deal one day. I don't think it's quite there yet. Yeah, hopefully. I mean it definitely deserves to be. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad we got through that. That was a tricky one to explain, so I'm glad we split it out into the four stories. Yeah, that was a good format to go for. Yeah, because the way we described it is not the way it's presented in the movie. It's presented like the werewolf story with the girls starts at the very beginning, and it doesn't wrap up until much later in the movie. That one drags on for quite a while, and it's really the the heart of the movie. That's like the main story, I would say. Everything's really like woven in and out of each other. Like there there's different segments, so it all doesn't happen like in big chunks. Like you see little bits of each mm-hmm. each story throughout the movie. Um, and then they're resolved at different points. Uh, so it's it's definitely dynamic. Yeah, just like you see little bits of Sam when he's blown apart. Yep. <laughs> oh, Sam. I love how Sam has been kind of made into a uh, – he's kind of like a, a common thread throughout all the stories. And they've tried to make him a bigger character. Like they, they show a lot of love to him, and I think he deserves it. He's a great little character. Yeah. Uh, there's tons of like merchandise out there like that's Sam-themed, um, and a lot of it's actually like – you know. It's very collectible stuff. Like it's, it's a lot of these, a lot of the merchandise from this movie is, you know, pretty hard to find and, you know, fetches a hefty price on like eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought like a, like a making of the movie, like big coffee table book. And it's like, you know, it's like a hundred bucks on eBay. I mean, that book is hard to find. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's like, and it's a great little book. I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff in it, really interesting kind of behind the scenes. And then there's, like great artwork and everything from the movie. It's 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 awesome. And to think all this for a movie that you and I just randomly both stumbled onto at Blockbuster one day. Yep. <laughs> it's crazy. Great how life works. I think that's just Sam in action. This the spirit of Halloween guided us guided everyone to seeing this movie. All right. Um so I think we've covered that pretty well. I don't think I have much more to add. Anything else you want to add before we sign off here and send people off to go watch Trick or Treat, the greatest horror anthology ever? Uh, I think we I think we covered everything. I don't have anything else in my notes here. Yeah, no, I think we did, and I again I just uh, cannot reiterate enough that this is not really like, like an unpleasant movie that beats you over the head. It's so playful and fun and just well done and just childlike in a way. Even the the way the violence is portrayed is kind of childlike. It's not really unpleasant. So I it's yeah. one I, I really think most people will like. And again, the uh, when we do horror movies on staff picks, they tend not to get the most downloads. But they tend to be the movies, the episodes that people talk to me about the most and remember the most. So I'm really hoping this is another one like The Invitation. I can kind of turn people on that really you'll go and seek this one out and say, hey, that was actually pretty fun. All right. Again, thank you, Jack, for joining me. And again, this is Staff Picks. My name is Mario Lanza. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until the next time, I'll be out there looking for more movies that deserve more love. And I will be for damn sure following all Halloween traditions. Trick or treat, everybody. Yep. Talk to you guys later. Bye.
I'll watch Charlie Brown, and I'll be in in a minute. Charlie Brown's an asshole. Billy Wilkins.